Jacob Albrock, Tommy Kester. This is Sports Daily on Wichita's number one sports radio, 97.5 and 1240 KFH. Oh, my God, that Mitch Holtis call was incredible. I hadn't heard that yet. That was so good. Uh, that was perfect. I was perfectly called on a play like that. Just every because that was what everybody felt. So excited, so awesome. What a great play. You knew they'd been working on it for a long time and then like, wait, what? They said what? You can call offsides on the offense? Wait, I, I'm sorry, what who was that on? Like what are we do what are we doing here? Was that Juwan Taylor again lining up with the Oh no? No. It was the wide receiver. Really? Like I it was that was that was awesome. Uh that was awesome. All right, Max, do we have Shreyas on the line here? All right, let's get to Shreya Slada. We're going to start our college basketball talk with the Jayhawks and a big win over the Tigers, emotionally speaking, of the three teams we played, probably the biggest game of the weekend. Here's Shreya Slada. Shreya, welcome into Sports Daily here on a Monday. How are you, man? Good. How are you guys? We're good. Is nine points good enough for you? I expected a bigger win. I'm not sure it is. I know it was emotional, and they looked like it was going to be more than that at times. I don't know. I mean, I'm glad they won. Don't get me wrong, but it felt like it should be more than that. Uh, I think so. I mean, they started off pretty ice cold, and, you know, Missouri, like the Dennis Gates said, they were the better team for 14 minutes. Um, and then things slowly started to fall in Kansas's place once the defense picked up and Missouri stopped making some crazy threes. Uh, I think just something with this team that I've noticed is, like, these really big spreads, they're rarely going to cover it because – you need to shoot a lot of threes to, I think, cover these spreads. So I, I don't know if you guys have seen, like, the 30-point spreads they've had against some lesser teams and this and that. They have not covered a single one of those. Uh, just because they don't shoot the amount of threes that you need them to shoot, I think, for them to cover these big spreads. So I think it was, like, 13 coming into the game. And I was like, it could be – I was, like, 50-50 in the sense they could cover the spread. They couldn't. Um, but it – I mean, you know, I, I think – they did what they should have done. They probably could have done it in a prettier way, and they probably could have been better at different points. But, you know, they beat Missouri for the third straight time since the resumption of the border battle, border showdown, border war, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, you know, Kansas has one loss in the season, and that was a number four Marquette team. So, so far, so good for Bill Self and his squad. You know, Sharice, at one point in the first half, the Jayhawks fell down by nine points, and it really looked like, Missouri came into Allen Fieldhouse. They were ready for the atmosphere, ready for the environment early on. What do you attribute the early struggles in that game on Saturday to? Do you think it was just Missouri hitting some shots and they were more poised? Or do you think there was something else going on with Kansas that led to that early deficit? Well, I think Missouri did an excellent job of making KU play offense differently. If you guys saw, they were double and triple channeling uh, Hunter Dickinson, which basically said, they, they told Kansas almost like, okay, well, you're not going to be this with Hunter Dickinson, uh, so you better figure out your offense some other way. And so Kansas had to play through its guards offensively, I think, early on a little bit. And I think there was an adjustment there. And, you know, Missouri did an excellent job of keeping Hunter out of his spots, especially in the first half. I mean, he had two points on two shots. You know, like no team has done as good a job against Hunter as anybody, as, as Missouri's done, I think, in the country. And, and he still finished with – a double-double with 13 points and 16 rebounds, which tells you how good he is. Uh, but, you know, I think that was a big thing. I think a little bit it was Missouri was making some really tough threes. 
uh, early on that I think Kansas just couldn't quite answer. So I think that allows them to get to a, a bigger lead, uh, a lead in the game. And uh, I think it's interesting to kind of see uh, just how this Kansas team reacted, I think, to this Missouri defense and how they adjusted and, uh, you know, adjusted to different ways. Like, I know late in the game they had K.J. Adams bring up the ball, and I wrote a whole story about how his ball handling skills, like they trust him to bring up the ball, and he showed it off there, and it led to a quick assist for uh, Marco Jackson. So it's been interesting to see, you know, how teams that guarded Hunter and Kansas as a whole and how it's forcing Bill Self and his coaching staff to get creative uh, against different teams. Well, I, you brought up KJ Adams, and I do want to get to him. But before we do that, Dewan Harris again. Um, I he's you know five assists to four turnovers. He's not scoring. I, I, what's going on there? Like how? What is what's going on with Dewan Harris, who has been the steadying force for this team for three years now? He's just not. He's not look the same for him. And KJ Adams has picked it up, but. I mean, maybe he's picked it up a little bit to pick up some of that slack. What's going on with Harris, and, and what is it that he needs to do to get back to the Dewan Harris we've seen for a couple of years now? I think maybe it's just an adjustment to the fact that this team is so differently built uh, compared to teams of the past uh, that he's been on. You know, like, there's a lot of different guys that can do a lot of different things. Um, and, I mean, like, I don't think he was necessarily bad against uh, – Missouri. I mean, he had eight points on six shots, five assists. I mean, yeah, he had some turnovers, but, you know, I think you'd take a three of six night from Dewan Harris from what he hasn't done, I think, the rest of the year. I mean, he had a, a decent game against uh, I think the the team before Missouri. I'm, I'm blanking out. Kansas City, sorry. Um, and, and he had some, he took some shots there, but, I mean, you want him to take a little more, but I, I think I'd take six shots you know, for Dewan, because he hasn't really shot the ball much at all. And, I mean, the offensive urgency, I feel like, hasn't really come on that end from Kansas in the sense that they need the, the, the point guard like Dewan or whoever to score. But I think I think for Kansas to reach its full potential, they need Dewan and, and El Marco to kind of figure out their offensive struggles and issues. And uh, that means Dewan needs to be aggressive to taking it to the rim and, I think, take care of the ball a little better. Uh, than he has so far this season. But I, I don't feel like, you know, the ball handling, like, I mean, the turnovers and stuff like that, it doesn't feel like, at least to me, uh, a back-breaking thing, at least right now. Uh, I think for me, the, the thing that I've noticed is when Duan is completely, you know, not willing to shoot the ball or take it to the basket or whatever, it puts a tremendous amount of pressure on Hunter Dickinson and Kevin McCullough. And in that turn, that's where KJ Adams has stepped up and, and done a tremendous job last three games in upping his own offensive production and taking, uh, you know, letting the defense that has sagged off, especially as much as Missouri did, and making them pay. I want to go back to something that you mentioned a few minutes ago about Missouri doing a, a really good job on Hunter Dickinson. And, you know, you look at his final stat line 13 points, 16 rebounds. But it was kind of a quiet 13 and 16, I thought. Were there? Do you think that there are things that Missouri did against Hunter Dickinson that other teams, like especially once KU gets into Big 12 play, that these Big 12 opponents can take from and utilize that as you know a way to combat what Hunter Dickinson brings to the table? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think they can limit his thing. Uh, I mean, limit his success. But we saw in the second half, they still ended up. He still ended up getting thirteen points, sixteen rebounds after scoring two points and two shots or four. So Kansas adjusted. Uh, you know, it, it's really, really fascinating how the fact of the matter is that you know, like this Kansas team is going to go as far as Kevin McCullough and Hunter Dickinson lead them. And if one or the two is shut out completely, it becomes a lot harder for Kansas to win. And I'd say come March, come, you know, deep tournament time, you know, big 12 tournament time, that could be an issue. But I think having the chance to go against the Missouri team that did such a great job against Hunter Dickinson is a great thing for KU. And it's probably a great thing for the big 12 opponents because they can look at that, you know, adjust their scheme accordingly against Hunter. Uh, but more importantly, it also gave KU some great tape on what they need to do when Hunter is not the primary option on offense. Uh, so back to KJ Adams real quick. Shreyas Lada joining us, beat reporter for KU Hoops, KU Football at the KC Star. You can follow him on social media at SHRE98. KJ Adams is it seems to be reaching a new level offensively. I wonder how much is still there, you think? Have they given any indication on that? Because his role is expanding offensively, and, and he's been so efficient offensively it makes me wonder is there more there could they make him you know as a plan more featured in the offense and continue to grow his role in that way to combat some of the you know if Dickinson offensively isn't you know what he can be or McCuller has a four for 15 shooting night as he did I mean to me he's so clearly the third option and I don't know that we expected that but it looks good while they're doing it I mean, I, to be honest with you, I kind of expected it after, you know, the dismissal of our Terry Morris because, I mean, who else was going to be the, the third offensive right. option? I guess maybe if Marshall had kind of figured out, the, I mean, I guess taken a bigger leap than I expected this early on. You know, I mean, he was the third guy last year too, right, I'd say. Uh, so I, I think it's it's just a continuation of his growth on the offensive end from last year. And I've been very high on KJ Adams. I think he's an NBA player. I think if he can shoot a jump shot, he's going to be in the NBA for a very long time because he does everything else really, really well. I mean, obviously his rebounding has not been as good as you hoped this season, but I think the adjustment from playing against you know bigger and tougher uh, opponents where you're boxing them out and letting your re- teammates get rebounds to, to being you know put on a, a guy who's a four-man who might not be the best rebounder has, I think, hurt his numbers a little bit. Uh, but, I mean, offensively, he's, he's going through – a true, incredibly great stretch. I think he's number one, and he's a career high in assist rate, true shooting percentage, effective field goal percentage, uh, you know, offensive rating, like a bunch of different things, you know, according to Ken Palm. And he's looked so good. I, I'm really intrigued to see if he will feel a little more comfortable with just take a step back and take those 15-foot jumpers instead of just doing the floater because it seems like the floater's become a very nice weapon of his. But I think the next step for him is, it's just feeling comfortable for the mid-range, right? Because he does uh, a tremendous job switching on defense. He's so, so good on that end. Uh, he's a good facilitator. You know, he's, he finds a way to get the ball to the right person more often than not. I've always been very impressed with that. Um, I think he could have a, a bigger offensive load, especially because, you know, Kevin, you know, self has said Kevin doesn't expect – he doesn't expect Kevin to keep up this crazy offensive start. So maybe – Kevin's numbers, you know, and usage drops a little bit, and that's where K.J. Adams comes in and, and help, helps fill in the gaps. 
you mentioned the struggles that the Jayhawks have had in covering these large spreads throughout the season and really attributing that to the three-point shooting and the struggles they've had there. Uh, Nick Timberlake, you know, still really isn't there. He did have a made three-pointer on Saturday, but you kind of, have, I think, have to take the good with the bad a little bit with Nick Timberlake. Do you think that as this season rolls on, and especially getting into conference play, this lack of successful three-point shooting is going to come back to bite the Jayhawks? I think so. I mean, I, I think um, I wrote about it a couple of days ago. Like about the back, I like think it's a concerning trend to me that they are shooting uh, a three hundred first. I think in like I think this was a couple of days ago, three like three hundred one number in, in three point rate uh, overall, which is kind of nuts. That's like the lowest in self era by like almost one hundred fifty, uh, hundred plus, hundred fifty point uh, you know ranking spots. So. You know, people talk about the fact that their percentage is pretty good. And and to me, that doesn't really mean anything because you need to watch the games. And, and I think, you know, if you watch the games, you can clearly see they're not shooting the three-point ball. And they win games based on defense and taking selective shots when they come. And, you know, it, it's a little bit of a mirage. Uh, if you can't shoot the three-point shot, you're not going to shoot it a lot. And if you're not going to shoot it a lot, your three-point rate's not going to be that high. But when you do take it, Ideally, you're making it more often than not because they're more selective about the shots they're taking, right? So that's what, you know, the percentage just kind of said to us so far. Uh, I think it's 100% in the cards for this team for them to be upset in March or in the Big 12 tournament because some other team got really hot and they couldn't keep up because the guy like Nick Timberlake hasn't quite figured it out by then or, or didn't figure out at all. Uh, I think that is in the cards and that an offensive uh, rebounding rate is another big thing. I think they're like uh, number like 301 or like, you know, they're really low on that end. It's the lowest rate ever uh, for a Bill Self team by quite a, uh, quite a bit. And that's a bit concerning as well. Uh, I think those two things are the things that worry me the most about this team. But I think this defense is going to give them a chance to win a lot of games and go and make a deep tournament run. And if they can get the offense going from the inside out uh, and make some timely three-pointers, who knows? You know, like they, they 100% can win a title. I, I think it's just going to be a little bit of luck of the draw on that end and hoping you don't run into a team that can go bombs away for three and, and put you out of the tournament early. <clears throat> Villanova. Uh, all right, Trius, uh, we will have a while before we play again, so plenty of opportunities for people to check out your work at the KC Star. You can follow Trius at SHRE98. We appreciate the visit. Let's do it again next week. Yeah, appreciate having me, guys. Uh, great talk to you all. There goes Trius Lada. Check out his work online. Um, it'll be a while before we get another KU game, and we will talk to Trius again next week. All right, on the way out, let's do uh, let's do a giveaway here. Uh, so we're going to do movie tickets to Wonka, and this will be at Boulevard Theaters in Town West Square just a few days away from now on December 14th, a special sneak peek of the new musical starring Timothy Chalamet, at 7 o'clock, Wonka, right now, pair of tickets to the first caller on the IHOP hotline, 869-1240. Max will get you taken care of during the break. We'll be back. More Sports Daily. We'll talk a little Shockers, a little K-State hoops when we return.
Dude, you gotta hear this. Hear this. Go ahead. I think I want to hear this. Sports Daily is on KFH. All right, welcome back, everybody. Sports Daily here on KFH. Thanks to Shreya Slada for talking a little Jayhawks hoops with us. If you missed any of that, you can go back and listen on kfhradio.com. Um, you can say hello to Lucy on our video stream. If you're watching us on Facebook, on YouTube, and on Twitch, she wants to be on the show, and we're not going to deny her. Uh, that's Tommy's sweet puppy that's sitting uh, right there licking the microphone. Hi, Lucy. Uh, yeah, thanks for she... tuning in on the video streams, by the way. Yeah, I figured that, you know, if I have to have my face on camera, the best way to counter that is like a, a cute dog. Uh, so, yeah, that's what we're doing. So Lucy's here with us, too. Max producing for us. We appreciate you tuning in, uh, listening in on KFH here locally on the app. I know we have listeners in other parts of the country. We appreciate everybody tuning in. Let's move on to some shocker and some K-State hoops here, Tommy. Um, you know, for Wichita State, we'll start there. The Interest Bank Arena game. Uh, I I've been told and heard from lots of people that you know wasn't the best turnout. Uh, I think playing San Diego State is a part of that, right? Like it's that's a little harder to get motivated uh, for or, or, say, say San Diego State for South Dakota State. Um, and then aside from that, what I'm more concerned with is. I mean, safe to say that was the most disappointing performance of the year for the Shockers. I think for me it was. Uh, that was a game they should have won, let alone lose by 10. Uh, that's that's a tough one. And now we're going to have to, for the first time, really see this team respond to some adversity because it's it becomes two losses in a row at the same time. Yeah, that, I mean, I think that you're right when you say it's probably the most disappointing. Actually, definitely, I think, is the most disappointing game so far of the season for Wichita State. You know, I've seen it multiple times. It's difficult, I think, for the Shockers to play in that arena. Not that it's it's bad. It's not a bad venue at all. But you are, you know, you're going 10 minutes away from your home arena to play somewhere else. And, and they've kind of had varying levels of success over the years playing that interest game. I think some of the attendance you can chalk up to the quality of opponent that was scheduled to play at that location. I mean, there have been years where it's been Wichita State and Kansas State at Interest Bank Arena, and that's drawn a big crowd. There have been some other Oklahoma State, I think, is drawn well also. Uh, this one, South Dakota State, that, that's that's tough to draw people uh, to downtown Wichita for that kind of game. So, you know, I've got concerns just like you do. It's, it's, it's difficult, I think, for that team to play in that arena, in that venue, at that location against that opponent. So you've got to shake it off. Um, you know, I, I I know that this is really, I think, the first time that we saw kind of a letdown game from Wichita State this season. And the big question is going to be, how do they bounce back from that? Certainly. And and we'll have to see it. The problem is their opponent outside of, you know, they've got a lot of time. This good portion of the schedule to have it happen because you get a week off. All three of the teams, by the way, KU, Wichita State, K-State, get a week off here, basically. Uh, but now you get Southern Illinois at home to bounce back. They need to respond there because after that it's K-State, KU, then it's conference play. So there's not a lot of there's not a lot of time left, right, to do it. The interest game is good because it's the way that you can get big-time opponents to come into Wichita Right. It just so happens that for whatever reason, they didn't have the opportunity to do that this year. So it becomes South Dakota State. And you're like, nah. But when it's and Oklahoma State that, or Oklahoma I, or Kansas yeah. State, like those are good games. 
I sent you the article the other day from Taylor Eldridge. I, I don't know if you had a chance to read it or not, but about how the maneuvering that was done by Wichita State to turn that from a home game to a neutral site game when it comes to the net rankings and when you're, you know, looking at maybe being a team that, you know, has aspirations yeah. for an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament. It is important if you can go there and you can win sure. against an opponent yeah. that is lower than you in the Ken Palm and, and Wichita State wasn't able to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's it, there's a lot of reasons to do it. I think most of the time you're trying to get somebody that's a big-time opponent to come see you, right? It's just like playing all the games in Kansas City and all those things instead of home. Like, that's great. I love that they do the interest game. I love that they do the downtown game. It, it's going to take a little time to build that momentum back up, just like it is at Charles Koch Arena. It, you know, that, that's just the reality of it. Um, but I think the they're having a hard itself. enough time right now, I think. My last note on this, a hard sure. enough time driving attendance at Coke Arena. They are. So if you're working on that, these I don't, decisions I don't know are made. Moving, these decisions it, are made before and after. I mean, it's, moving that away from Coke Arena when you're still trying to build that up. Yeah, I get it. They, I understand these things get are planned there. well in advance. But, you know, it, that was disappointing. Not only the outcome but just the lack of attendance i saw pictures and you know there were empty seats everywhere and you know that's disappointing it all comes with winning right all of these things come with winning and and they didn't play particularly well in the game in fact they didn't play well at all that was you know you don't you don't want to give up 79 points to south dakota state let's start there like you don't want them to shoot the ball that well and have that kind of a performance offensively that's not going to be good for wichita state I, you know, the, the bigs didn't do much. That's interesting. I have not had a chance to go through and listen to what uh, Paul Mills had to say after the game. I thought they would, you know, rebound a little more dominantly in this game than they did. Um, you know, they didn't. It wasn't an egregious turnover game, right, either. It, it's kind of a strange one. They shot free throws okay. Uh, you know, they, they didn't shoot threes well, which they just, they just kind of, that's not really their thing, but it wasn't bad, right? It was not as good in the first half, and then they came out in the second half, and they shot more than 50%. I mean, they, Tommy, when you look at this game and you look at it on paper, it's like, well, wait a minute. what? You know, they won the rebounding battle. They didn't turn it over too much. They shot 40% from three, but they didn't shoot well from anywhere else. It's just kind of a weird one, and and I, I'm, I'm excited to go in and listen to all of what Paul Mills had to say about it, and I'll do that today. Um, I, it's just, how does I, it's, it's a strange one. It's a strange one for sure. And I don't quite know what to take away from it. Um, uh, other than let's see what they do in the next one. Well, again, it's really uh, dangerous, I think to invoke the transitive property. And I know it's, you do that all the time in sports and that does, that's not always a clear indicator of, you know, how things go, but remember South Dakota State played Kansas State earlier this season, and the Wildcats beat South Dakota State by 23 points, right? right. So, you know, that you can go back and, and look at that a little bit. And I remember us talking about South Dakota State at that time when they were getting ready to play Kansas State. And I remember talking about Zach Mayo, who is the you know big-time shooter for, Sandy, or for South Dakota State. He had a good game against Wichita State over the weekend. 25 points for him inside interest bank arena. Um, I think Wichita state had a difficult time containing him. Um, you know, so, but again, like it, I think what is hard is when you look at the breakdown of the stats in this game, I'm kind of with you. There's really nothing 
that stands out as egregious is like, oh, like you point at that as like that's the reason by which the why, Bigs why didn't Wichita play State well. Lost the game. The Bigs didn't play well offensively. Um, I, I I wonder, and I don't know this as fact. It was too early in the season still. I just it makes me wonder: Are they going to have to have the Bigs play well offensively? Like, does that have to be a part of the offense? I, I think know, so. I think you've. Got I know to, you Paul Mills wants them. it to be right, and so that that's sort of what I, I guess because you know again, like it was a strange one because as you look at it in the aftermath, it's like, well, what happened? And and I don't even know what necessarily happened, but we're gonna you know the biggest thing. And again, Wichita State this year, unless something magical happens over their next three games there they they were not going to be an at-large team this year yeah. that that is just so I mean they would have to like lose one or two conference games and that's it or win one of these like to me that's never really been on the table here now they had played better and I think in, more encouraging than than a lot of people thought especially when you knew they didn't have two of their what we thought would be key pieces due to eligibility issues but I I, I still I'm, I'm sort of just in this mode of where will this team be and where can it be when you get to the conference slate? And I still don't think we know the answer. I think we were more encouraged before Saturday, and now we sort of have to take this step back again here. Right. Because in you know, like, and and we don't, you know, you don't have good losses and all that. But even the Missouri game, you're like, man, they they easily could have won that game. Right. Uh, so okay, we'll take that. This one, just like, what is that? Now we'll see again with K-State because the Wildcats look great. They look can, good. Can I, real quick before we go to the Wildcats, can I just mention the elephant in the room very quickly about this game on Saturday night? The fact that it wasn't televised, and I understand all the different things that played into it, but it wasn't an ESPN Plus game. You couldn't watch it. Now, I listened to a good majority of it with Mike Kennedy, and that was awesome, but it makes it really hard on a Monday to try to evaluate what happened when it wasn't like I wasn't at the game, I couldn't watch it. It wasn't like I could break down and say, okay, well, that was why. I mean, the, you look at the stat line, and the bigs didn't play well, right? But, like, uh, that's crazy. And that, hopefully that doesn't happen moving forward. I know the rest of the season is good to go. But I, I was reading, I think it was Taylor Eldridge again, an article about why the game was not televised. And I'm like, man, like that, that can't happen. It's a Saturday night when there's no college football on. You know, like I'm watching the Heisman ceremony and I'm like, man, it'd be great to watch some Wichita State basketball tonight, not televised. And I'm sure that the fan base probably, you know, not very thrilled about that either. So hopefully that doesn't happen moving forward. Yeah. And I was at a company Christmas party, but so all I can, that's why I say I can't wait to get in and dig in and listen in to what Paul yeah. Mills had to say after the game, because I have no idea. I All I can do is look at what happened because I'm with you. I was following along on, you know, at a, at a, company Christmas party on the phone just looking at it like an updating you know game sound. I'm like what what is going on here uh, so we'll get into that K-State we did have a chance to get a look at um, to to follow along a little bit more had some highlights and those kinds of things I think the big thing for the Wildcats Tommy and not that LSU's a, a juggernaut this year by any means they're talented it was sort of an emotional like what sort of emotional bounce back quality is possible in this game after everything that happened last week with Naquan Tomlin, after you came out of a, a, a just a really good win against Villanova, there was none. 
They came out. They handled their business. Tyler Perry did not play particularly well, and they still found a way to win. Cam Carter continues to be what I don't know that any of us expected to be, which is this amazing revelation in this expanded role. Kaluma continues now to sort of, I, I think what we'll see over the years, Kaluma actually be the guy, right? Not Tyler Perry. And Tyler Perry becomes more of a secondary piece who does things like he did against Villanova, right? So I, I'm, I am very encouraged. I think they're way ahead of schedule, honestly, because they do have talented young players that are going to continue to contribute for this team. I, 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 did not, I did not think they would be at this point this year, Tommy, and they are. And I think they can, it can and will continue to get better. And I think middle of the pack in the Big 12 is absolutely in play with a chance to beat certain really good teams at various points in the conference season. Everything was pointing towards a potential letdown for Kansas State with the week that they had with Naquan Tomlin and all of that. And then, even beyond that, a one-point win against Villanova. This team has lived in overtime. I think everything was building towards a letdown, like we're exhausted emotionally, we're exhausted mentally, we're exhausted physically, we have put in so much energy to win these games in overtime. We had a big one-point win against Villanova last week, and then you add in all the drama on campus. It was building to that point, and then all the Wildcats did, they just went out there and extinguished LSU, and it was a decisive win. They looked really good. They shot the ball good, almost 50% from the field. They won the rebounding battle, looked really good there. I think really the only glaring negative, they turned the ball over too much, 17 turnovers. That's something that, you know, they've got to get cleaned up. But overall, I mean, it was a pretty resounding victory, I think, when the Wildcats needed it the most. And again, that's a testament to Jerome Tang and, and, and the kind of coach that he is. Yeah, I do. Too. And, and again, great leader. There's no question about that. He's got that down pat. And so hopefully, you know, if you're, I think if you're a K-State fan, if you know, unless you're a K-State hater, and I know there's lots of them there with KU fans, but just like if you're a K-State fan or a neutral observer, you just you hope that success um, sort of softens the blow of the Naquan Tomlin situation and everything and the anger and the vitriol over how that all played out and all of these things can sort of ease into the back of the mind with some success on the court. And then, of course, we have to see where Naquan Tomlin ends up playing basketball, assuming he's going to do that, which I would assume he would do. The, the question that I think, I mean, and certainly I do, and I assume you do too, Tommy, get asked all the time is, would Kansas take Naquan Tomlin? And I think the answer is absolutely. I think that they would. Um, yes, I, I think that Kansas yes. needs depth. needs depth, certainly. I think any depth is good for Kansas right now. I, I think, you know, is it like a, is is Naquan Tomlin going to step in there and solve their three point shooting problems? Absolutely not. Is he going to step? Could could he could he step in and help them? You know, become and continue to be and develop into the best defensive team in the country and give them another dynamic creator. Absolutely, he could. Is he and would he become one of their you know five best players? Absolutely, he would. So 
you know, we'll see how that plays out. And again, I, you know, I'm not saying that they've had conversations. I don't even know where that all stands with Tomlin's status right now. Right now, as far as we know, his main focus is getting graduated, which he should do this week. Finals are this week in college, I believe. Uh, I know they are at Wichita State. I assume they are everywhere. So, you know, he's going to get some resolution and hopefully a graduation here pretty quick. And then I would imagine pretty quickly he'll be able to go finish out his playing career before he ultimately goes to the NBA, which was on the table anyway, remember. That was a part of, you know, this offseason oddness with him is that he's absolutely an NBA prospect. So if I'm an NBA prospect, KU makes a lot of sense. Would he do that to, you know, Jerome Tang and his teammates? I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer to that part of it because there'll be a lot of teams that'll come calling. So we'll see. But Boy, is it going to be a juicy storyline if that happens? Like, woo. I think any, I think any team that is maybe one piece away from legitimately feeling like they can compete for a national championship ought to be calling Naquan Tomlin uh, because you're basically getting him as a rental, right? Like a three-month rental through your conference play and then you know through the conference tournament and then into March Madness, and so. Any team, and, and I think Kansas, the reason why there's been a lot of speculation there is because Kansas, I think, feels like a piece away from being a complete basketball team. There are a lot of other that are on that level right there, too, that I'm sure have reached out to Naquan Tomlin. So I don't know. I, I, I think that the irony of it would, I mean, incredible storylines, and it would make the two Sunflower Showdowns insane this season if Naquan Tomlin did that. I don't know if the Jayhawks are the most likely landing spot. My gut says a, they aren't. From a geographical standpoint, sure. sure. Like I think that, you know, it, it does make sense. But I would imagine there are probably, gosh, what would you think? Like two dozen teams that have probably reached out to Naquan Tomlin so far about utilizing his services for the next three months. Uh, yes. So I, I think that there's going to be a lot of competition for him. Depending also on what the other piece of why he was let go from the team that we aren't publicly made aware of, right? We all know about the bar far fight situation. We don't know what the other thing was. I mean, I'd call him from Wichita State, too. You know what I mean? Like, I'd call him if I'm just about anybody because I don't think based but on— realistically, he's going to go to a place where, number one, he can continue to graze his NBA draft stock, and number yep. two, can legitimately compete for a national championship this year. If I'm Naquan Tomlin, and I'm just like being realistic with the situation, being at a place where I could be the featured offensive guy or a more featured offensive guy is important to the NBA possibilities. And the but one how many thing programs about programs can you jump right into? I don't. And that's what I'm. take it over. Right? I agree. So then it becomes this. It becomes this weighted thing, right? And we're totally speculating. Everybody understand that. Like, I have not had any conversations with Naquan Tomlin or any team or anybody, like, zero, other than the obvious that he's a really good player a lot of people are going to be interested in. But if you're Tomlin, think about what you've got less time now to accomplish than you did going into this season, and that's pretty much to show whatever it is you need to show to the NBA, why he returned to college basketball anyway. So that's where it's like, for me, if you ask me if, you know, would Kansas be interested? I would say, absolutely. Would Tomlin go to Kansas? I would say, I don't think it would be the first choice because he would be probably option four offensively there. Maybe three, probably four at best. So to me, if I'm Tomlin, that doesn't make as much sense. You know, what is the team that's good 
that may be lacking offensively? What is the team that, you know, the role that I could have is is the biggest possible while also being good enough to at least, you know, reach the NCAA tournament, I think is probably right. a decent baseline. That's where I think if you're Tomlin, you have to look, you know, because I don't know with Jerome Tang as your coach and as close as he was with those players, if the spite portion of this, you know, in some circumstances, like, well, I'm going to go to Kansas, watch this. Maybe that exists. Again, I don't know. I just know that Jerome Tang is there. So it, it's like, yeah, you know, you know, you will, we'll see. It'll be it'll be fascinating to watch. Another week, we'll probably know pretty quickly uh, what his plan is, but we'll watch that as well. K-State, right now, Tommy, they've looked fine. I, I don't want to say fine without him because that's mean and unfair, but they've looked better than we thought without him. I think that's fair, and they have. They're winning games. They look impressive. They're winning close games. They're winning despite the guy we thought to be the offensive juggernaut on this team being far from that so far this year. And I think K-State fans should be pretty excited about uh, the prospect. Because I think I think I'm raising my floor for them with each and every game I see them play. You know, my floor initially was make the NCAA tournament. Now it's it's turning into I, I, I think this could be a middle of the pack Big Twelve team for sure. Yeah, the resilience I think that they have shown in those what back to back to back overtime games, uh, where they came out on top in each one of them, that tells you a lot about this team. Uh, and tells you a lot about the way they're coached and the way that they believe and, and all of that. Um, man, but there were multiple times during those overtime contests over the last week and a half where I thought eventually this is going to come back to bite them. You know, they're they're playing with fire here, you know, letting these teams hang around and then going into overtime and then it takes a miraculous shot from Tyler Perry to win the game and all of that. They're playing with fire, but it's developing, I think, that uh, that tough exterior crust you know where they can overcome things when they're in when they're in trouble and they're not playing their best and that's what it's going to take for you know a team to have success in March is when you're not playing your best game to still be able to find a way to win and that's what that's what Kansas State has done I think middle of the pack in the big 12 sure I think that's appropriate I think that's I mean to the big 12 it is a good conference so far from what we've seen there are only it's i think like, two conference. teams maybe that are not performing up to standards and that's probably west virginia and oklahoma state but other than that the conference looks really really solid so it's going to be difficult for them once they get into conference play but you know knowing what they've been building on in this non-conference yeah i mean i think that they should be somewhere in the middle of the pack we can end with this there, there's not going to be like an unbeaten conference team this year I think that, you know, probably I, I don't see anybody making it through with only like four losses. I, I would guess at this point right now that, you know, if you can get if you can get through with four or five losses, that's probably gonna be big enough. That's how competitive I think this thing's gonna be. And I think you'll have two of the, you know, the five best teams in the country, if not three, between KU and Houston, maybe even Baylor playing in there. And I still think that. That's how good like you mentioned the two teams that haven't lived up to the standard, but we know in this league anything happens. K-State's resiliencies that they've shown this year is part of the reason why I kind of like their chances to get up there because they're going to lose games in the Big 12. Everybody is. But they seem poised and primed to be able to bounce back in that. Are they talented enough? I do still think that's a bit of a question, and we'll see that play out, especially without Naquan Tomlin. But uh, it, it's, oh, it's going to be so good. It, it will entertain us th through this winter maybe more than it ever has. It's going to be incredible. 
Tommy, as we look back on the NFL day and we've got two Monday night football games tonight, uh, biggest takeaways for you. I think the Cowboys are probably the most obvious as they take care of the Eagles. It was it was a good matchup for Dallas, so we'll see. It's really can they avoid their dud game. But I honestly, like for me, I think it might be Cincinnati and another really impressive performance from Jake Browning, uh, assuming he's fine moving forward. I, I, they're very much in the mix here, I think. Uh, so, you know, Dallas is the obvious one. I think Cincinnati's the sneaky one from yesterday. Yeah, and you look at Cincinnati, and then all of a sudden the competition around them in the AFC is they're competing for a yep. playoff spot. The Jags fell off yesterday. The Texans fell off yesterday. I mean, all of a sudden, the Bengals ain't really, let's be honest, the Bills. I mean, they both look like they're back in the race all of a sudden with four Absolutely. games to go. So I'm with you. I mean, the AFC playoff picture is very muddy, very convoluted. Uh, it's probably going to come down to the wire. It's going to be crazy the last couple of weeks as we start to have these teams jockeying for playoff position. But then to your point also, the Cowboys looked incredible. And, they you know, the, the Eagles, I mean, it's been a, a tough couple uh, games for them with the Niners and then the Cowboys. They've not looked like they're up to snuff against either one of those teams in the last two weeks. All of a sudden, I think the Cowboys and the Niners are kind of separating themselves. Yeah, Philadelphia's problem is they don't match up well with either the Cowboys or the Niners. That's not like yeah. to their strengths. The Cowboys' problem is they don't match up well to the Niners, as we saw earlier this year. So, you know, Dak Prescott's reached a new level. We'll see how that plays itself out. But, you know, I, I mentioned Cincinnati, also in the state of Ohio. All of a sudden, Tommy, Joe Flacco has yeah. been has been better than Deshaun Watson that? was. How about that? And, and that probably shouldn't surprise us tremendously. Flacco's never been bad, right, even when yeah. he was with the Jets. So— with that defense, like as I'm looking at the AFC right now, and we talk about Kansas City being able to pop, but but the reality is also happening in the AFC is really everybody that's in the mix right now in the AFC, including Cleveland and then Cincinnati with new quarterbacks. It's kind of getting to the point where, like in the NFC, it's going to be Dallas, Philadelphia, or San Francisco, period, full stop. Nobody else is doing it, right? In the AFC, though, Tommy, like let's like just realistically, I think that you, I think if we watch football enough, we could see Baltimore, Miami, Kansas City, Jacksonville, Cleveland, or Cincinnati or Buffalo, all as teams that could beat any of the yeah. other ones in a game. Yeah. By the way, Thursday night football with Justin Herbert having a broken finger, the Chargers and Raiders, that quarterback matchup, East Stick versus Aiden O'Connell. It's going to be. Terrible. Is Herbert for sure out for a while? Because my yeah. fantasy teams, as they enter the playoffs, are not yeah. that he's In helped fact, me at all the last today, two weeks. Uh, today, the announcement came down. He's unlikely to play it. All right. Got some work to do there. Mix that in. All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll come back. We'll tell you what's on tap. We'll tell you what you can hear today on the network as we wrap up Sports Daily.